What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Scratch Agency Podcast, hosted by Scratch Agents for Scratch Agents. Sean, how are we doing today? We got a beautiful day up here in Utica, man. 45 degrees, the AC's on in the car. We are moving and grooving up here. What's up down there in Long Island? Yeah. You know, I refuse to talk about the weather again. It comes up every episode. It's got to uh, come up every episode because I'm sick of Taylor Garcia calling me and saying, oh, it's so cold. It's 68 degrees down here. <laughs> I know with the palm trees in the background. But uh, no, I had a good day. Man, it's been a good day. I was just... Uh, off air just telling the story how uh about 15 minutes prior to this episode i got a phone call from one of my commercial clients and the phone call goes like this which i'm sure most people can relate to hey uh, i'm at the dealership i need uh i need an id card now and i was like okay well you know what kind of car are you picking up is it a replacement blah 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 so he's picking up a 2023 bentley continental that's worth 329,000. so my first thought is there's no way the carrier is just easily adding this on um, and I went, I was able to go right on the system and uh, add it on. And it was through a carrier, I won't say, that's usually very difficult to do changes with. Um, so who knows? It's probably going to come back and bite me in the butt. But <laughs> it wound up being a nice about 14000 premium just uh, just for that one vehicle. So I yeah, thought that see, was we pretty get, cool. We get those calls up here in Utica, but it's really like, hey, I'm at the dealership. I got an 02 Honda Accord. I'm trying to add. and want full coverage. <laughs> You know, want whatever you got. It's going to be twenty six dollars a year. Yeah. yeah, right. Exactly. Well, <laughs> just a little bit of a difference with the prorated premium on that one. But sure. Sean, we got an exciting episode today. Uh, this individual reached out to us actually just to say that he was enjoying the show, which was cool because we didn't know people actually listen to this, so that's exciting. Um, but uh, we're really excited to have Josh Dot on the podcast today, and Josh is the owner of Dot Insurance Group in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Josh has had 13 years of industry experience. He's been captive with Nationwide. He's jumped to the independent side, so we got a lot to uh, dive in there. But Josh, thanks for joining us here on the Scratch Agency Podcast. How are you today? Oh, great, guys. Thanks for having me on. I uh, love what you guys are doing. Um, I think I listen to every episode, and there's there's really not another podcast quite like what you guys are doing um, on the ground. It's it's awesome. So thanks for what you're doing for the for the industry, for sure. Appreciate you thanks, saying man. that. We, uh, you know, we're just having fun, and it's good to meet the one viewer that we get every week when we go to look at all the viewership <laughs> and, and see that one viewer. It's good to have him on. I'm just breaking chops. But Josh, introduce yourself to the people that are listening and uh, you know, uh, tell us a little bit about your agency. Yeah, obviously, my name is Josh. I've been in the industry uh, a little over 10 years. I started as a nationwide exclusive agent. Um, we were exclusive to about 2020. And then in 2020, uh, we went fully independent. It's been an amazing experience, I would say, the whole time. Um, good and bad about being independent, same with being exclusive. Um, so, yeah, I'm anxious to learn what you guys are doing. I'm just excited to be on the show. That's awesome. Josh, how did you first get into the insurance space? Like when did you first were like, wow, yeah, I got to do this. In 2010, I worked for a state farm agent for a couple of years and learned a lot of great processes. He was just a great business owner. Um, at the time, I thought, you know, that's, that's the route that I wanted to go down. But yeah. learning a little more about the program, I, I ended up deciding to go the nationwide route. And it, it was a, obviously a blessing that I chose to go that direction. But um, I think the captive model is a great for training. You learn coverages. Definitely. You know, you learn how to deal with people. Um, it's just a, I think it's a really great place to start to kind of, you know, get used to it and get your feet wet. And when, when you started with nationwide, just cause I'm somewhat familiar yeah. with the, with the, with the process, I came from a nationwide agency. What, uh, so when you first start with nationwide, did you do the program where like you're initially an owner, like they put you through like a couple of week program yeah, or something? Program. Yeah. It was yeah. what they call an ACB agent. Um, it was a really unique program where you were a corporate employee for 18 months to two years. Yes. Yeah. 
and you built your own book of business, you had training, and the, the program just kind of at the time just seemed too good to be true. Um, you were you were a W two employee. You kind of had the backing nationwide, and you got kind of got to learn the coverages, how to sell, the processes. So it was definitely an opportunity that I I kind of jumped on once I uh, found out about it. So what was the process when you were at State? So you were working for the State Farm Agency, just as yeah, a, an employee, right? And then you, then when you went on your own, you went nationwide, right? Yes. So what was the process? Um, you know, during that, were you looking at the other captives, um, you know, what led you specifically to Nationwide at that time? At the time, to be honest with you, I was thinking about going the State Farm route, but they, they straight up turned me down. Or they didn't really turn me down. They said, not now, maybe later. And I was at the time, I think I was 23 or 24 years old, and I was I was ready. Um, I didn't have a family at the time as, as far as a wife or a kid. Um, I might even have a dog at that point. So I told myself, if I want to do this, I want to do this now. Um, I had, you know, a ton of energy. Um, I just kind of wanted to put the time in now. So maybe 10, 15 years later, once I do have a family, I could, you know, take an afternoon off if I needed to. Um, it's easier to go all in when you don't really have anyone else but yourself to worry about as far as compensation. So I kind of knew my time was then. And when they kind of told me to wait, that's when I uh, started looking at my other options and seeing, seeing kind of what else was out there. Nice. And Josh, what it, so... You go nationwide, then you go independent in 2020, which I know a lot of agents did. Yeah. What was that? What was that whole process like for you? Um, I would say at first you're kind of scared, to be honest with you, because when you're an exclusive agent, um, you have a ton of backing. You have a you have a manager. You have the community of other agents. Um, you have yeah. one system, one company, one guidelines to kind of learn, and it's a lot easier to grasp. Um, it's a lot easier to know like what one company wants, what their guidelines, what their underwriting is. When you put six or seven or eight or how many you have, it starts to complicate things. You know, we didn't have a, a at the time a CRM system. It was it was a nationwide. So yeah. you're kind of learning to be kind of an, an owner again, and um, you, you know you're competing against not just nationwide, but you're competing against an independent channel that has a ton of different companies too. So it was kind of just a huge learning curve that. Um, Looking back, it probably wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be, but it was definitely um, a learning curve for sure. Yeah. Did you um, – because I remember at Nationwide, we had access to uh, – I think it was called NBS. Yes. Like the brokerage solutions. So, okay. So, that, that gives you a little taste of, you know, yeah. writing with other markets and stuff. So, at least you were a little prepared. <laughs> yeah, just a little bit. But, yeah, not, not quite enough. <laughs> yeah. So, what, what tech stack did you wind up going with? Because I know once you leave Nationwide – you need to get some sort of management system or CRM. Yeah, I uh, what, what'd you guys go with? With EasyLinks. Yeah, because okay. I liked that the Raider was built in with the management system. It, it kind of seemed like a one-stop shop for, for me for the most part. And so what was um, what was the process for you of checking those things out? I mean, uh, was there support there from Nationwide? As yeah, far as honestly, like Nationwide did I can't really say anything bad about how they handled that process. They had blueprints for us, um, different like trainings quarterly, even monthly, where would you go over different vendors that, that, that That's cool. just resources on kind of how to become an independent agent? Because it's just, none of us really knew that. Maybe people had some family in it, but I didn't. So it was really nice with kind of the resources and the playbook that they gave us to kind of prep us for when we went, you know, we called it kind of like Independence Day, which was, I think it was July 1st, 2020. And they kind of, they really did help us get ready for it. So now looking back at it, you were a nationwide agent captive for eight years from 2012 to 2020. 
you know, looking back, would you have gone independent sooner? Was there ever a time that you thought about going independent uh, and leaving Nationwide altogether during those eight years? Um, or, you know, what, what did those kind of eight years look like as you were growing your agency? No, I really never thought about going independent because all, the only thing I knew was the exclusive channel. So when, when that's the only thing you know, um, it's kind of, you know, you're comfortable in it, you understand it. And I thought it was amazing being exclusive because I didn't know what other options were out there. So looking back, it might have went a little sooner, but um, I still think I'm, I might not have been ready professionally to be independent. It's, it's a completely different animal, in my opinion. That's why I give you guys so much respect. I mean, when you're an exclusive agent, you're also, you have, like, I had the nationwide brand. So when you're calling a prospect, yeah. they might not know who you are, but they know the nationwide name or they know the state farm name or they know the all-state name. Yeah. So that, that definitely matters when you, you know, you have a young person calling like me on the phone, they don't really, they, they don't, they don't trust me, but they might understand, um, the, the brand recognition of the company that, that you're exclusive with. So that, that definitely helps to kind of get your foot in the door with, with at least have a lot of personal clients for sure. No. So if, if, if you could have the knowledge that you have today, as we're sitting here in 2012, would you go independent right away? I still probably wouldn't. I know it's crazy, but um, I just think some of the compensation models were really nice being exclusive, but you can kind of help build a nest egg to kind of get more aggressive in the future with acquisitions or different technology. It was just a really good, you know, time at, timing. I think a lot of things in life is timing. No, and, and, and I, I don't think it's, I don't mean to cut you off. I, I don't think yeah. you just said, you know, it, it sounds crazy. I don't think it sounds crazy. I've never had any captive experience. I know Sean, yeah. you have, um, but I, I, I came from an independent agency before I started T5, but anybody that talks about captive, it, they, they talk about the training and the resources that you're given and, you know, the support that you have. And that, I mean, that's certainly not there from an independent standpoint, especially if you're just starting scratch, scratch. You know, if it wasn't for Sean and some other friends that I become close with where I can pick up the phone and say, hey, I'm, I'm facing this right now and have no way. I don't know if I should go left or right. What do you think? You know what I mean? I don't know. I don't know um, how, how I would do it as an independent scratch without that support. So I can definitely see what you mean from the captain. Yeah, I mean, I think you just said it alone, though. You're lucky. You know, you have Sean and Sean has you. Being exclusive, it's nice because you would go to, you know, regional meetings or district yep. meetings, and I'm meeting people like you once a month, quarterly, every six, you know, you're meeting people, you know, you can go to dinner with your friends, but you might talk a little bit about insurance, but they don't know what you're talking about. But at those meetings, you know, that's truly what I miss is, is the brotherhood of being an exclusive agent. Like, yeah, you might run into each other, you might take some policies here and there, but at the end of the day, you know, it's nice to just bounce ideas off, you know, see what's working, what's not. And yeah. uh, being being independent, you're kind of on your own a little more. Yeah. What did the nationwide guys used to say? We bleed blue or so something along those yeah, lines. Yeah. But, uh, like no. That. Yeah. That that was a good aspect of nationwide. Was we used to have this? Our sales manager would hold monthly meetings. I think I talked about this briefly on the last episode. Uh, but yeah, they would have monthly meetings, and I remember being 21 years old as a producer, and it was great to go to these meetings because there were the vets and the top 1% were there. So every time I was there, I'd be like, Hey, how did you do this? Or, Hey, how'd you yeah. get to the top of this list? Or how did you make this work? And I was just a sponge at all of those meetings. Um, so yeah, I think I, I could see how that could be very helpful. And also too, like just talking about the market today, like how hard of a market we're in mm -hmm. here in New York anyway. I mean, if you're a scr if you're trying to open up a brand new independent agency, you're going to have, you 
could have a very hard time getting new appointments, you know? So maybe there is some appeal to the captive side, but then, you know, that has its own negative too. You know, you only have one carrier. So if the prices start going up. Yeah. That, that's the know, hardest it, part. It's in a pickle. Yeah. So. Right now it would be kind of scary, maybe a little bit. Don't we have one market, but, um, yeah, it, it's just breaks, I guess, going cycles for sure. Yeah. Here's a, here's a question that just came to mind. And then after this, I want to dive into more about your agency and, and learn more about what you were doing down there, Josh, but being on both sides now for some time, you know, you've got your feet wet with the independent side. You have some, some uh, time there at captive. What do you think us as independent agencies can do better? You know, when I ask you that question, what's the first thing that comes to mind uh, that we can do a better job at? I mean, not so much you guys, but the independent. You can call me out. Call me right out. That's fine. No, no, no. <laughs> you guys do. You guys do very well with branding. I would say branding, um, because it's a huge thing. Is you're not representing the carrier so much as representing yourself. And I think branding also it goes down to your employees. It's harder and harder to compete for for top talent. And I think branding helps top. You know, helps attract very good talent and producers as well. So. I think branding is pivoting, not, not the carriers representing, but you as an agency's branding. I think that's one thing that I don't see independents doing enough that I'm trying to get better at too, for sure. And you know how I think you're doing a good job at that? And I've had it done a couple of times and I love when it happens is when you're talking to a client or something, or they call in and ask what company they're with, you know, they know they're with T5 insurance, but maybe they don't know they're with a New York central yeah. or with the travelers or whatever it is. So, I mean, I think that's when, you know, you're doing a decent job at that when they don't know. What company am I paying again, even though it's coming out of my account every month or whatever yeah. it is like you, you just grow the brand. And, you know, that's where I have Sean, I'd be interested to see your point on this. Cause you know, a lot of the carriers are coming out with the self, uh, self-service stuff for the independent agents to use. And, you know, it's great cause you can talk to their reps 24 seven and, you know, it just, I, I, it may be the old man in me a little bit, but it's just still, it, it, it still doesn't seem like something I'm interested in exploring. I'm just curious your thoughts on that, Sean, because I know you've you've had some thoughts on this in the past. Yeah, you know, it, it is an interesting thing. I think I honestly need to do some more research on it before I could speak confidently about it. But from my initial perspective, um, for where my agency is at, I don't have a, a large team to help me with servicing. So if Travelers wants to come in and say, hey, Sean, we're going to take an additional 1% of your commission, but we're going to give you... Uh, you know, a preferred service line for your clients and it could help them 24 seven and I don't have a choice, you know, I'm going to, uh, I'm probably going to try to utilize that a little if I can. Um, but now to, to, to build off that branding thing as well, I, I think it is also very important that from a branding standpoint that you are putting some sort of either social media content on there or maybe doing podcasts or whatever the case is, whether you're a producer at a captive agency or independent, because Steven and I talk about this all the time. You want to be top of mind for when insurance pops into someone's mind. You know what I mean? And I can't tell you the amount of times I've had someone reach out to me and just say, Oh, Hey Sean, I'm buying a new home. And I haven't spoke to the person in like eight months. And I know the only reason they're thinking of me is because they saw, you know, some video that I posted online or whatever the case is. So I think the, the branding is super important, um, regardless of what you do. But I mean, I guess to build off your question a little bit more, Stephen, um, I think for where I'm at, I don't mind utilizing the customer service centers, you know, as long as they're as long as they're good. <laughs> but here, you know but here's mean? the caveat to that. I think you do a very mm -hmm. good job at also displaying your brand. So you're, you're displaying their, yeah. you are displaying your brand 
of LAF yeah. advisors. That's the point before, I'm trying to get across. Yeah. Before they may be usually utilizing that service center. So yes. you know, maybe I misspoke there. I, I think you know it does obviously depend. And we talk. If I had a dollar every time on this podcast, we talked about how many different ways there is to slice the pie when it comes to this thing. <laughs> um, but that's another perfect example. I think one of the things that I try to do personally when it comes to the brand, just expanding on that discussion, is the the prospects or the people um, that follow me on social media or whatever, trying to get them to, you know, feel like they know me before they may have met me. Right. Yeah. So just being out there, and, and and of course, I'm very I'm very heavy in just kind of community based referral sales. Um, so that's a, that's a big goal of me is to try and to stay top of mind so that when it comes time to, when I bump into them at a chamber or whatever, they already have a feel of what I do and who I am. Yeah. Or even just networking within it. it so besides just building the brand, you're also building your brand within the insurance space. So Steven and I have multiple stories of appointments that we've obtained via posting stuff on LinkedIn and social media and other agents that have taught us so much just because we've put ourselves out there a little bit. Um, real quick, a quick story with Louis Gazatua. I mean, the first time I met him in person, it was like, I, I felt like we knew each other for years, even though it was the first time we ever met. And that's just because he puts out a lot of stuff on social. I had a lot of stuff out on social at the time and it was just an easy connection. And it was like, we knew each other. It was, it was pretty cool. And I think like you said, Stephen, that is the power of it. Yeah. So, Josh, tell us a little bit about Dot Insurance. Uh, you guys are primarily personal lines, right? Yeah, we're about 90% personal, 10% commercial. Um, trying to obviously grow the commercial more, but I still love the personal lines as well. Um, mm -hmm. Pay the bills. Um, I don't really have a ton of service problems. Like, I, I know some people back down. It's not profitable to, you know, service the personal lines book, but I love the stability mm -hmm. of it. I love the, um, you can predict kind of the income that you're going to get the following year. Um, I, I see a lot of positives on it for sure. So what would you say? Yeah, leads to your... Oh, sorry. No, I was no, just going to say, just to build off the previous conversation, I think that is the one caveat to not pushing them off to the service center is you are building a better relationship as long as you can make sure all the service stuff goes real smooth. You know what I mean? Which could help, which could help increase the retention. I'm sure that increases the retention. So yeah, yeah, I just, just wanted to build off that. Well, the building off what Josh just said, what what um, what do you attribute your success to of low service? Is it certain tools or um, not tools? I would just say building relationships. Honestly, I think it's peers, your customers. I, I mean, this is a it's a big it's a big it's a big industry, but it is a small community. I know I've been hearing that a lot lately, and. You know, you never know the the person you're going to meet, what doors they might open up, and what doors they might close. I mean, it's just it's a it's a business where I'm always out there. I'm always talking to people. I'm always trying to gather more information, just looking to grow. I think whenever you're, you're, you become complacent and stagnant, is minute you start going backwards. And I, I like to think about every year. It's just a reset for me. I mean, you guys are young guys like me. We're in our thirties. I mean, we got we got a long runway ahead of us. I think the last thing that I want to do is feel like oh. I feel comfortable now because as soon as you start to feel comfortable, you know, there's scratch agents just like yourselves that they're not comfortable and, and they know the technology better and, and, and they're coming. So it's, it's, it's never, I just think it's a great industry that's always growing, but there's always something to learn. And I think the minute you stop learning and, and, and trying to grow, it's, that's when you can put yourself back yourself in a corner that you might not be able to grow again. I love that. Yeah. I think uh, Denzel Washington still takes acting classes, right? I mean, come on. Um, but anyway, 
the I, I wanted to build off the personal lines and commercial stuff real quick. Do you yeah. do you have any uh, niche, Josh? Whether on the personal lines or commercial side? Uh, we do a little bit. Probably our niche with with commercial be habitational and uh, small uh, contractors, small commercial. Nice. Um, personal lines, not so much of a niche um, at all. Yeah. Did Did you write that the the uh, contractors and habitational with Nationwide prior? Or? Um, not so much. No, I picked yeah. up some really good regional carriers that, that are really strong in that, 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 um, gotcha. I think put me in that not only offer a competitive price, but also the coverages with, with independence, with being independent, I hate, especially with commercial, I hate just selling on price because, you know, you have people's livelihoods that they might've worked 30 years on this business. And the last thing you want to do is just save them a couple hundred bucks a year <laughs> yeah. and then, then buy coverage and it ruins the next 30 years of their business. I mean, that's just not why I got the business. So you talk about that growth mindset. I love, I wrote it down, every year is a reset. Let, let's dive deep into that because you and I had a phone call this morning and I don't yeah. think I told you this, Sean, Josh and I, I was just telling him a few things about the show and he started talking. I was like, Josh, I got to stop you. We can't talk about this until we're recording. <laughs> the stuff he was saying was just good. I'm like, we got to talk about this on the podcast, but dive into that mentality you have about every year is a reset for you. Because every year carriers want something different. It might be hard market. It might be a soft market. Every profitability, you know, your profitability resets every year. And when, when you're trying to grow, I mean, just because, you know, you have a good year doesn't mean that next year you can, you know, you can dump all your resources and all your revenue into something else. So that's why I truly feel like every year I take a step back and I say, where do I want to be this, you know, this time next year and also five years out? Because it's just, it's constantly changing. I mean, as soon as you think, it, anybody in this industry tells you, how much different do you guys think 2022, in the beginning of January of 2022, to where we're at now feels in this industry? Yeah, it's it's like adapt or die, basically. I mean, <laughs> prior, prior, to, prior to COVID, I remember for commercial, every single, every single appointment I went to in person. Every yeah. single one. I never bound the policy without sitting down with the business owner, shaking their hand, talk, talking to them about their business. Now, I would say the complete opposite. I maybe sit down with one in every 10 business owners, not even, probably one in every 50. And it's completely different. And now we're doing video proposals and all this other stuff that we never used to do. Um, so, yeah, I mean... Yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't agree with that more. I mean, there's so much change there with the way you prospect, the way you write new business, never ending. Yeah, I mean, every year, even carriers, their appetite changes what they want. Yeah. I mean, it's truly, it, 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 in me, I mean, not, maybe even year to year might be too much now. I mean, it seems like every six months, it's just completely different. That's a, a good thing to bring up too, is like, especially when you come from a captive space, I won't name any carriers, but you probably know who I'm talking about. We used to write, Oh, a bunch of contractors. That was a niche, you know, I had. And then one year they just said, nope, no more. We're not writing any more contractors. We're actually going to non-renew all the contractors. Oh, and you have a niche in habitational. We're shutting all that down too. So that's, I mean, when something like that happens and you have very limited carriers, I mean, that could be devastating to your book. I and mean, that's why it's a good advice I got early on in, in my career was not, you know, to have a niche, but not have all your eggs in one basket. So don't only write all habitational, you know, write, write, yeah. you, it's okay to write 90% habitational and then have, have a little bit of a base somewhere else, just in case there is that knee jerk reaction, you know? So I just think that's a good point to bring up. So Josh, what does that yearly reset look like for you? Um, you know, I want to dive into 
a little bit more about your team. You got four different locations, I believe, right? So, yeah. Uh, but I'm curious when it comes time for for Josh to sit down and talk to himself about the yearly reset. What are some of those things you're looking at, measuring, um, trying to set goals for next year? Kind of what does that reset look like? Looking at Pat, you know how how the previous year went, past production, what each what each what you know what premium you gave each carrier, and then the next year. Um, how did that play out? What carriers do you want to give more to? What carriers do you want to give a little less to? You know, you also want to keep track of each carrier's loss ratio, how that's trending. Um, I also have a reset with my staff. Um, you know, the role they might want to be in last year might not be the same role that I need them to be in or what they want to be in in the future. So um, I feel like just the whole agency every year, I, I just try and sit back and just say, you know, how this year go? What could I have done better? Um, what could my staff have done better or what could we have done better collectively? And you try and forecast that to the, you know, to the following year. And, and it, it usually changes, but, um, you try and keep your goals as, as consistent as you can. Yeah. I think that's a really good point. I mean, think of just you or us in general, your wants and needs change on a yearly basis. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like they, what, what we want now is way different than what we wanted when we were 21 and started at Nationwide. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah. so <laughs> it, it's, it's, it's just good to bring that up because we have employees and that's a conversation I think you need to have with your employees more frequently. You know what I mean? Uh, whether it's on a quarterly basis or an annual basis, I think that conversation needs to happen more than it does because like you said, Maybe an employee wants one thing one year and the next year, maybe they don't care about the title as much and they want more freedom or maybe one wants more pay and is willing to work harder. So I just feel like it can change dramatically from year to year, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's really hard to find good, good, good employees in my opinion. And I don't like to take anybody for granted because at the end of the day, it, you know, it's their career. They work for you, but it, you want mm -hmm. them to be happy and you want them to succeed. And the last thing you want to do is just assume they're happy or, or assume that, that, that they're not. I mean, I think yeah. you can't really know until you truly have a conversation with them. So true. Let's dive into that. How many, how many people do you have? What does your team look like? You got we four locations. Of, yeah, we have 11 at four locations. Um, always, you know, looking to track talent. Um, I'm very proud of, you know, who we have. Um, good people. I, I try and hire just good people. Um, I feel like you can teach people insurance, but you can't teach, you know, you can't teach 100%. be a good person. You can't teach your personality. You can't teach their work ethic. So I think, you know, those are the attributes that I look for, um, for the most part. So when you started scratch, um, was it just you? Did you have, have support staff with you? Yeah. Yeah. Well, when I truly, when I graduated that program and I went independent, it was me and, and one other individual. And, um, you know, we just grinded the phones. I mean, similar. I think I heard Sean on a few podcasts go. Um, it was, it's an exciting feeling hiring your first employee, but it's a little scary too, because, you know, you want them to be as successful as you, because if, if you're not, yeah. you know, it goes both ways. If you're not successful, they're not going to be, but if they're not successful, when you're a one man shop, they're half your manpower. And, and if they're, if they're not moving in the same direction as you, and they're not happy, you're just going to be spinning your wheels and you're going to be replacing that person as soon as you hire them. So it well, let's, definitely... let's dive into that. I, I want, I want to walk through, let's back all the way up to yeah. the, the, the Josh dot scratch days. It's you and the other individual. 
and let's kind of walk through that. Um, you know, lessons you learned along the way. Did you to get to four different locations and uh, eleven uh, staff members? Did you acquire any agencies? Was that all your own growth? How did that all look? Yeah, we've acquired a few agencies. Um, I think it's a fine balance between organic growth and acquisitions. I think acquisitions are important because it, it, it can scale you faster. It can help you pick up markets. It can help you pick up talent. And I think those are three of the things that are crucial for an agency to keep moving forward. It's, you know, talent, revenue, and opportunity. Um, and uh, I think all three of that are really helped by acquisitions. How did you find those agencies to acquire? A couple just cold calling. Um, I, I, yeah, I just picked up the phone and I would call, you know, hours a day and just introduce myself. And I wouldn't say, you know, I, I would, you know, you never know when someone's thinking about transitioning. It, you're, you're never going to know. And it's, it's probably not going to be today. It might not be a week from now. It might be three years from now. But, you know, just calling, introducing yourself and just saying, hey, I know right now you're probably not ready. But when you are ready, I hope you think of me. And it's just, you know, the constant checking in. Because um, no one's ever, what are the odds you call somebody and they're like, you know what? I was talking about my wife yesterday. I'm ready to go. <laughs> nine times, you know, nine, eight times out of 100, that's not going to happen. But it, like I said, it gets back to building a relationship, checking in. You know, seeing what matters to them the most, what doesn't, um, you know, what keeps them up at night, how you can bring resources to them. I just think, you know, building that relationship will get you in the door. And I think money, you know, is not the deciding factor ultimately when you're talking acquisitions. They want to, you know, they want to make sure their people are taken care of, you know, they're taken care of, um, their company that they built. So, you know, years is going to keep going. At the end of the day, we know. A lot of companies, they're all going to pay about the same same rate. Um, I think what really helps you get that is the relationship you build with them through that process. Mm, mm. No, I, I, just, I just want to correct you there too, Josh. You said, what's the chances of calling somebody up and having them just out right away? If you called me last night about 1130, 11, 30, <laughs> it's not worth much. You could have got a hell of a deal. Just saying. <laughs> What you know over the over the couple acquisitions though I think what what would be interesting to talk about because again this, this is a scratch agency podcast maybe there's somebody listening to this that's a year or two in and always thinking about acquiring and I think when you're building your own agency and and you know looking at buying another book or buying another agency it looks like this big steep mountain right you know what are your experiences on you know let's talk about your first one or whatever it is about what you learned during that process and maybe you didn't know before taking that first step to acquire an agency i think just um just maybe getting all the customers um the ones with nationwide were a little easier just because it's you're dealing with one company and their kind their clients you know are transitioning into your into your system and you already know the the coverages i think the hardest part is is when you my last acquisition when you're when you're buying an independent agency that that has a bunch of carriers it is you know learning each one of their contracts it's getting approved for them to, to want to be in your agency it's working it's learning the coverages that those carriers are offering i mean i think those are the biggest obstacles is integration and also the markets that you're obtaining making sure a that you can feed them enough new production to keep the appointment B, you can feed them enough, you know, good, profitable business where they're going to want to keep your appointment. And C, just learning the coverages, the endorsements, and how they separate and how you can find, you know, business for that carrier. Mm. I think what the biggest obstacles from my past one. Yeah. And something that you said that I wrote down here um, was the conversation of role changes. 
Let's talk about that because I think that covers a couple different bases. It can cover the scratch agent um, that is acquiring another agency and has to, you know, try to make some changes there. It can also just it can also relate to the person that may be taking over leadership. Uh, Sean and I have a friend that's kind of going that through that right now, where they're taking over leadership in an existing agency and want to make some changes as far as his roles. And you know, Susie's always done this for twenty years, but we really think Susie would fit well if she did this. You know, what's your experience been with that and in your acquisitions, and uh, what would be some advice you have as far as trying to have those conversations? I think what you just said, you got to have the conversation immediately, um, or. There, there might not be a point you buy in the acquisition because the last thing you want to do is assume a that you're going to buy this book of business and those employees are going to first stay they're going to fit with your culture or that they if you don't have a fit for their current role you can't assume that they're going to want to do what you want to do that you're going to want them to do it at your agency so i just think communicating is the biggest thing with not just you know the agency owners but also the staff because let's be honest they are just as important as the agency owners. I mean, they're on the front lines. They're dealing with the customers. They're taking the complaints. Sometimes they know our customers much better than we even do. So I think that's a major part of any acquisition is making sure that, you know, that you, that the staff is as strong as the book that you're buying. And I've been yeah. very fortunate where I, I've acquired some, my, some of my best workers have, have been through acquisitions, but it's, it's definitely a, a, a you know, a talk that you need to have, I think, pre-close is where where are the, where are the employees now and where do they want to be? Because, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's a good point because you could acquire a book and get some really good talent, but you could also get people who've been trained a certain way for so long by another agency yeah. that is not the way you want them to do it. And now you yeah. got to retrain a bunch of people as well. So, I mean, that could kind of almost hurt the value of the book, yeah. right? Um, so yeah, that's an interesting, uh, concept there. Uh, so the acquisitions with, uh, the acquisitions you had, were they all nationwide agencies or one was independent and the rest yeah, were nationwide? Yeah, one was independent. Yeah. And the rest okay. were nationwide. Yep. Were they, were they all local? Uh, yeah. Yeah. All yeah. within like an hour or two of each other. Interesting. Okay. Yep. Yeah. I was just curious about that. So how, the, how far are your four locations right now then? Are they all I within? I would say, um, they're all within two hours of each other. I would say within an hour or two hours of each other. So it's a little challenging. Um, just, just for, um, I'm one person, I want to be the job I think that's another obstacle is just, um, kind of replicating yourself to another office because you're only one person as, 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 as fast as you want to grow, you can't multiply yourself either. Mm. So that's something that, you know, is, is a hard balance as well. Josh, yeah, what was just that interesting thing I wanted to bring up real quick, all the, the cold calling you did and all the different yeah. agencies you spoke to, how many dinners and meetings did you go to where nothing happened? Oh, a ton. I mean, yeah. yeah. I mean, you, yeah, they probably stopped answering my calls half the time, but it's just, <laughs> um, I, like, I, I mean, we're all in sales. If I was, if I was afraid to be told no, I'd have been out of business, you know, probably 11 years ago. Mm -hmm. I mean, so I'm never afraid just to pick up the phone and just have a conversation with someone. The last, first, last thing they could do is hang up on you. What, what? Yeah, yeah. Worst things could happen. Was there a lot of competition with these agencies when you were trying to buy? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. There was always competition, but that's why, like I said, I don't think it's just, it's just not an option to me. I don't think some people just think I'm just going to get, you know, I'm just going to offer the highest amount, but I, I just don't think that's what it breaks down. I think it's building a relationship. It's making sure they trust you. Um, there's just a lot more to just 
hey, what are you going to pay me? Yeah. Yeah. Now, um, as far as the, the mostly personal lines, how are you guys getting most of your new business? Is um, it a lot of cold calling or? Cold calling, some cold calling, referrals, some community events. I mean, I'm trying to do a mixture of, 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 of I'm trying to just do more ways at one now. Um, I, I hate, I, I love, you know, love doing community events, love referrals, but I also hate waiting for the phone to ring. So that's a hard balance for me. Um, I feel like that's just something that I can't get past. So I'm, I'm still, you know, buying some leads. We're still doing a ton of outbound calls, but we're also building more referrals, more relationship partners, more community events, trying to, you know, to balance the two out. Yeah, I think this is an interesting conversation to have. Steven and I were talking about it uh, earlier today a little bit. There are a lot of agencies that do it one way, and they are the master at doing it, bringing in new business one way. And you can, there's a very good argument that that is the best way to do it. And then there's another argument, you know, just talking with Steven earlier, and I don't know if it's right or wrong. I have to do a little more research on it, but doing kind of like what I'm doing the same thing, Josh, is I have my referral partners. I do a little cold calling. I do a little community stuff. And I don't think it's necessarily the wrong way to do it. Um, but if I did it one way, would it be more efficient? And I yeah. am leaning towards that route. However, I'm starting to think of it like this way. So uh, the producer I have, I know he likes to prospect business a specific way. Um, now, I'm just curious, how many producers do you have? Uh, three. Yeah, three, okay. And do your three producers all like to prospect for new business the same way or do they all do it a little bit differently? Exactly. And that is, yeah. you know, you're, you're kind of leaning in exactly how I, how I'm running things right now is, you mm -hmm. know, like you said, you, you never know how one, per one person isn't going to perform the best if, if you're telling them exactly how to do it. And yeah. we're not all, we're all going to be the, have, have a sell policy the same way. So one of my best guys, he, he is my lead guy. He sells a ton of leads. However, my other person that sells a lot, they, they would never want to do that. And they're, they're doing the referral base. They're doing the, you know, the community stuff. Mm. So I think it's, it's, what is that, what, what does your producer want to do and how are they going to excel? You can't jam something down, something somebody doesn't want to do. I mean, somebody mm. might not want to be in the community all the time with their own personal brand, you know, networking. They might not like that, you know? So I just think it's, it's just having a, you know, it's just communicating with your employees, how they feel comfortable, what they excel at and, and how best do they think they'll be successful. Yeah. And playing to their strengths, right? Yeah. Yeah. But it's such an interesting conversation. Um, because, uh, I was on Hanley's podcast the other day and we were talking about it and he's, he pushed back on me, which I appreciate. Um, when I was like, yeah, I, you know, I'm mainly, I'm mainly community and, and I, I get a lot of referrals from being community, but I need to have a good mix of both. And he kind of pushed back on that comment, you know, why, you know, and, and I think to your point, find out either what you like, what you enjoy, what you're good at, what gives you a good return. If that's cold calling, great. If that's community, great. Um, and just pour extra into that. And to your point is setting up an agency owner, like to Josh's point, you've got people that like doing a little bit of a little bit of each. Then for the agency, you've got everything covered. Yeah. I mean, you guys always say it on your podcast. I think there's more than one way to be successful. Um, it's just, it's just what, what how are your people going to be the most successful and how can you help guide them? I know there's things that I might want to do in the agency that, that I want to improve on, but until I can improve on that, I can't expect them to. 
So I think it starts with the top figuring out what, what excites your employees and, and how best can you help your customers? At the end of the day, you know, this is a business where we have to be there for our people at their worst possible times. And I think, you know, your customer, our employees can't truly be there for our, our for our customers as much if, if they're truly not happy either. So I think it starts with the top. Very true. Steven, you want to end us off with that final question? Yeah, absolutely. So Josh, you know, this question is coming, I'm sure, because you're listening to the show. But if you were challenged tomorrow morning, you wake up and your challenge is start a scratch agency over from zero, starting right back over. What's one thing you'd do differently or one thing you'd focus on? One thing I would focus on would definitely be technology from day one, um, integration, because it's, it's much easier to grow when you already have the technology integration in place than when you're already a certain size and then you're trying to implement it. So I, I think that is one thing that I would do differently. And second, and then what was the other part? Sorry, Steve. I think I... No, just if you would do something differently or focus on something specifically. And I think yeah, technology is exactly that. Been, yeah. Yeah. Technology. Yeah. Yeah. There's so many, there's so many ways to, to do it, and there's so many different tools out there that can help you, right? So, uh, Josh, thank you very much for joining us today, man. We really appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule to jump on with us. So um, for those who want to get in touch with you, maybe you want to pick your brain, something you said uh, uh, hit them and they want to talk to you, what would be the best way for them to reach out? I would just um, check me out on Facebook, Joshua Dodd, or at my email at j.shortsgroup.com. Awesome. Well, everybody, that's another episode of the Scratch Agency Podcast. Thank you for joining us. Do us a favor, like the show, share the show, and subscribe. Most importantly, remember to dig down deep, believe in yourself, and own your own future. We'll see you next week. Take care. Thanks.